Welcome to Trinity on Tap Theology, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. Victoria Lorimar. Episode 1 What is a Creed? We kick off our study of theology through the Apostles' Creed by taking a step back and looking at what creeds are and the purpose they serve. The word creed comes from the Latin credo, which means I believe. So a basic definition of a creed is a statement of belief. Depending on your church background, you might be accustomed to saying one of the creeds every week as part of the liturgy. Or perhaps they're only busted out on special occasions, or you may never have said one as part of a church service. Some traditions are opposed to using creeds, and we'll get to that. The Apostles' Creed that we're looking at in this series has its roots in the ancient practice of baptism. New converts would pledge their allegiance to God by answering a series of questions, confessing their faith. It would go something like this. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty? I believe. Do you believe in Christ Jesus, the Son of God, who was born of the Holy Spirit and Mary the Virgin and was crucified under Pontius Pilate, and was dead and buried and rose again on the third day, alive from the dead, and ascended to the heavens and sits at the right hand of the Father, and will come to judge the living and the dead? I believe. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Church, and the resurrection of the flesh? I believe. After each declaration they would be immersed in the water, Afterward, they would be anointed with oil and welcomed into the fellowship of believers by sharing in the Lord's Supper together. So what is the point of a creed then? Well, actually, they fulfil several purposes. Firstly, they are educational. They instruct new believers and remind long-time believers in the foundations of the Christian faith. Secondly, they have a ritual purpose. They are part of the rite of baptism, one of the sacraments of the church. And thirdly, they are doxological, and this is a fancy word for praise. The creeds are spoken as the people of God worship together. And finally, related to this, I would say that the creeds serve to underscore identity. The community of God is united through the common practice of affirming the creeds. We might think of a creed as a boundary marker. It sets the limits of orthodoxy, correct understanding of faith, without being prescriptive over the details. Various creeds recognised ecumenically, that is, by most or all of the church traditions and denominations, were born out of controversy, developed in response to debates over correct doctrine in the early church. The Nicene Creed, for example, was formulated in response to ideas about Jesus and the Holy Spirit that did not give full credit to their divinity. So creeds are the end product of the church wrestling with how to understand the witness of the scriptures and summarise the Christian faith in theological terms. The creed also gives balance to our beliefs. If we take it seriously as a statement of faith, then it is less likely that we will follow a skewed version of Christianity in practice. We won't overemphasise or underemphasise the importance of the Holy Spirit in our faith, for example, as the Creed puts the Spirit on equal footing with the Father and the Son. And while our contemporary age emphasises individuality, the Creed reminds us that we belong to a community, which gives our faith a countercultural bent. Let's hear Alistair describe how the Creed functions in his view. 
I think for me, the creeds are like maps of the landscape of faith. You think of a map. A map is a piece of paper, basically, or something you see on the screen. It's two-dimensional, and it represents what's there, but it's not the reality. It's a pointer. It's a sort of, um, if you like, brief, inadequate sketch of what is there. And for me, that's why so many people misunderstand the creeds. They expect them to be the faith. They're not. They're simply saying, look, here is what is there waiting to be discovered. They're guides to this wonderful landscape. And I very often liken my own discovery of Christianity to, in effect, arriving on an island and having no idea what was there, but looked rather fun and needing a map. The map helps you discover. The island is great. The map's simply there to help you discover the island. So the creeds are a gateway to faith, but they're not the faith. They're there to, in effect, help you discover. And as you discover, you grow. And the creeds will help you by pointing out what you should be looking for. But they don't themselves deliver it. That image of a map that Alistair gives us is really helpful, and it's a good one to keep in mind as we travel through the creed together in this series. I mentioned at the beginning of this episode that some Christian churches are wary of using creeds, and most often these tend to be churches that are part of the free church movement. Some of these misgivings come from the history of the church. Creeds often emerged out of long, complicated and divisive processes with multiple church councils. Battle lines were drawn, bishops were excommunicated for their positions. With such a political origin, how can we trust the words of a creed? And another objection to the use of creeds relates to their repetition. Surely saying the same thing over and over will lead to the words becoming stale, to a stagnant faith. Worship is better, more authentic, more heartfelt, if it's spontaneous. We would do much better to use our own words according to this view. To the first objection, that creeds are political and therefore untrustworthy, it's important to remember that although the creeds themselves don't appear in the Bible, they are biblical. The Apostles' Creed started out as an organic confession of faith that preceded the baptism. While other creeds, like the Nicene Creed, are the products of church councils and theological debate, they still essentially expand upon the earlier confessions of faith and represent the historical church's understanding of God and the gospel as proclaimed in Scripture. In fact, we find creedal formulations in the Bible itself. In the Old Testament, what is called the Shema, which means hear, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, functioned as a confession of the Israelites' faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And the New Testament is riddled with creedal statements, summaries of the foundations of faith. I'll just give one example. In Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, he writes, For I passed on to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Kephas then to the twelve. That's in 1 Corinthians 15. This idea of passing on, of handing over what has been learned to others in the early church is central to the apostles' ministry. Thus, Paul encourages the Thessalonians to stand firm and hold fast to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by word of mouth or by letter. Furthermore, we might like to think about the development of creeds itself. Where is God in this process? Remember that the Bible we read, while God breathed, is also the product of a long process of debate and the input of early church councils. 
the Church reached a consensus through this process as to which books would make up our canon of Scripture. Various criteria were used to decide whether each particular book warranted inclusion, one of which was whether it was already being used in Church practice as an authoritative guide. So the process of writing creeds is not entirely dissimilar, and we might have faith that God is at work in it, and that the creeds therefore communicate meaning and truth for us today. This is not to say that they're exhaustive, though, and we'll look at some of the limitations of the Apostles' Creed in the final episode of this series. Now let's turn to the second objection to using creeds, that the constant repetition of creeds will strip them of their meaning and cause stagnation. Well, this is always a valid concern. Whether we have a fixed liturgy or not, how many of us have caught ourselves going through the motions at times? Most churches and faith communities have a particular language and way of doing things, and when you've been around for a while, it can be easy to slip into patterns, to adopt a persona, etc., without being properly present or sincere. There is always the need to reflect, to pull ourselves up when we think we aren't giving our worship our full attention or our whole heart, whether the obstacle is distraction, fatigue, shame, guilt, or something else. Worship is an activity that demands our whole selves. But at the same time, even what we just do by rote is formative. Let's think about habits for a minute. Habits are good for us. They mean that we keep on doing what is right and good, even when we're on autopilot. Even when you're exhausted or you get home really late, you still usually brush your teeth before you go to bed, right? Now, I'm not comparing brushing teeth with reciting ancient liturgies, but just being in the habit of saying a creed is good for us. The words become ingrained, and this is a kind of spiritual discipline. The practice can carry us through a rough patch until we're able to renew our engagement in worship. If we use the creed in our church services and in our own personal devotional practice, then we are continually reminded of the faith we committed to in baptism. I've found this to be true personally. For most of my Christian life, I belonged to churches that did not make a regular practice of saying the creeds. I think I only encountered creeds once or twice in over a decade. It wasn't until I lived in the UK several years ago that I encountered a liturgical style of worship that incorporated the creed. And I came to this experience with a lot of misconceptions, associating liturgy with staleness, with dead tradition. But I was fortunate to see it practiced in a life-giving way, with people who were passionate about their faith, who worshipped with their whole selves and not just empty words. And there was something about standing alongside other believers in a stone chapel, in a magnificent cathedral, in a converted school hall, or even in someone's living room, reciting words that countless believers have also spoken throughout the centuries, and that many more believers around the world are joining in in the present as well. It's that identity-forming function that I mentioned before. We are participating in a fellowship that spans the ages. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, as the writer to the Hebrews puts it. Thinking of the recital of creeds as habit-forming practices, practices that are visceral in some way, that operate on an effective level, does not mean that they don't also operate cognitively. It's just an aspect that sometimes gets sidelined, 
the way that simply doing something over and over inscribes them into us at some deep level that will echo in our lives in unexpected ways. And finally, the use of creeds does not mean we can't also worship God with words and practices that are closer to our own contexts. It's not an either-or, but a both-and. As Christians, I think we're called to do this, in fact, to uphold the historic faith that has been passed down, but also to find new, faithful expressions that preserve its meaning and relevance for our lives and circumstances in the present. So let's recap. Our journey through theology will be guided by the structure of the Apostles' Creed. Creeds are essentially summaries of the faith. They serve to teach us right understanding, are a means for us to worship, and unite us with our fellow believers in the one faith. So next episode, we'll start walking through the creed itself. But before then, take some time to think about your own experience of saying, or not saying, the creeds. What do creeds mean for you? This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.